You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. So we've been talking about the prodigal son. And I just want to recap. Basically, the story of the prodigal son, if you don't know it, is a story of two sons. And one of them, the younger son, uh, decides that he doesn't want to be controlled by his father any longer. And so what he does is he goes to his father, he asks for inheritance, and uh, he, he leaves. He says, you know, I want to do things my way. He takes his money, and he leaves, and he squanders it on wild living, on women and prostitution, on, you know, drinking, and just all those things that we associate with bad things, okay? And, and then he comes to his senses, and the story, he comes to his senses, he makes this speech about going back to the father and saying, you know, I've forgiven against you, against our family. Please forgive me and take me back, but I'll be a hired servant. And so he, he turns from what he was doing, turns from what he thinks will give him life, uh, and he goes and heads back to the Father with the desire to give the Father back control, to work and be a part of the Father, and, and to give him this speech. And when he's a long way off, it says that the Father sees him and runs towards him, forgives him, robes him, gives him a ring, a family ring, which means you are mine, you're back in the family. Didn't even let him get the speech off. And we said that uh, repentance was necessary for him to come back into the family, but it didn't occur because of the speech. It happened when he simply turned from his one way of life and turned back to the Father. That was the movement of repentance, and then it was the Father's uh, receiving him and back into the family as a result of that repentance. And so, um, and so, yeah, and then last week we talked about the implications of this, or two weeks ago we talked about the implications of this, of his forgiveness and how great it is and how it came at his expense, how we don't deserve it. Uh, but it's this magnificent story, and we've, most of us have probably heard it and we love it because it so exemplifies who we are as a church, a church that welcomes people back, regardless of what's happened to them, regardless of their mess-ups and their mistakes. And we just, we love this story. It's an amazing story. Uh, This week, though, we're going to talk about the elder brother. And the elder brother has a bad rap. Of the three characters in the the story, he's kind of the black sheep, isn't he? I mean, he's kind of the one, like, what a jack wagon. Man, he didn't want to forgive his brother. His father's coming out to him. He don't want to mess around with him. And we're going to look at the elder brother, right? And this is going to be a hard teaching because many of us are elder brothers and we don't know it, okay? If you're a younger brother, you know it. Just look around. And you're living like the younger brother. You know, nobody has to tell you that you're, you know, that you're in rebellion. You just kind of know you're in rebellion because of what you're doing. But elder brothers don't, right? And I'm going to explain why in a minute. But as we get into this teaching, as every teaching that Jesus teaches is that it's always framed in love, right? And so as Jesus teaches hard things to us this morning, just know this, it's framed in his love for us. It's framed in his desire to come to him and receive freedom, to receive the freedom that he has for us so that we can experience the Father's love. But in order for us, in order for us to experience his presence, to experience his love, we have to turn, like the younger brother, back to Jesus. 
or it will just, we won't be able to receive it. And the reason we know that this is framed in love, that, that, that this is about Jesus' love for us, is because of his audience. The context of this is Jesus speaking to sinners or younger brothers, but he's also speaking to Pharisees and scribes, which is amazing because Jesus was telling this story with a desire, pleading with them to come back to the Father. The very people he knew would crucify him, the very people that he knew would kill him, he's pleading with to come back to the Father. Forgive them, Father, for they know what not they're doing, but what they're doing. Pleading with the Father to pour out his love on them. Pleading with the Father. That is amazing love, amazing grace. And so again, as we talk about being an elder brother, struggling with being an elder brother, or being elder brother-ish at times in our life, as the Spirit convicts us, as the Spirit moves, he's, he, Jesus is pleading with us to turn from these ways and turn back to him so we can receive the freedom that he has died to give us, so that we can receive the love that he has for us. So here we go, elder brother. This is Luke 15, 25 to 32, the last chapter, the last piece of the puzzle in this parable. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out to him and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat, and even a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit now to open our hearts to receive this teaching that we would come alive, that we um, would move from lost to being found, to receiving your freedom and knowing your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the older brother is looked upon as the black sheep, the one who wouldn't forgive, the one who wouldn't come into the party. But as I thought about this, I thought, man, this is interesting. And I wonder, I wonder how similar this is to us. I mean, how many of you have had a younger brother or sister that you felt like got away with everything? You felt like, man, they weren't, they get their curfews later, mom and dad got them a car earlier, you know, they get away with everything, you know, our parents, you know, mom and dad are, are way more forgiving than they were with me. I mean, how many of you have had a younger brother or sister that, that, that have done that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you thought that. All right, welcome. You're the older brother. And there's a lot more of you that have felt like that about coworkers, about people on your basketball or baseball or sports team that you feel like, man, I've practiced way harder than them. And they're getting to play and I'm not. 
That's you being the elder brother, right? And so I read that and I thought, man, this is a normal response. This is how I would feel in this situation. This is how I think this is normal to feel in a situation where you feel slighted, where you feel like, man, well, the, bro- the older brother did work harder. He should have been ticked off. He has every right to be mad. Which begs the question, then, what is Jesus trying to teach us in the story of the elder brother? There's four things we're going to talk about this morning that he's trying to teach us. The first question is, what is Jesus trying to teach us about the elder brother in this parable? I just did that one, okay? Number two is, how is the elder brother lost? If he's doing all these things, we're going to answer the question. If he's doing all these things right, how is he lost? What makes him lost? The third question is, uh, is this me? I hope this is not me. And I'm going to talk about how you know if this is you. Because nobody wants to be the elder brother. Nobody wants to be the guy that I'm speaking to or the, or the woman that I'm speaking to this morning. But you'll probably find out to some degree that you are, okay? And then, and I'll kind of label that the elder brother syndrome. And then I'll talk about dealing with the elder brother syndrome. syndrome. How do we turn back? What does that look like uh, in our life, okay? And so the first question, what is Jesus trying to teach us in this parable? What's the overall Message And the overall message that Jesus is trying to teach us is that the elder brother is lost. He's lost just like the younger brother. The father represents in this story God the father. And he's inviting both brothers into salvation, the feast of salvation. And in the end, the younger brother says, yes, I want that. And he comes and he receives. But the older brother is angry And he doesn't, and he doesn't go into the party. And so he remains lost. He remains outside of what God has for him. And and what's keeping him out? We read this in verse 29. He says, it's because, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. I've never disobeyed anything you've done, yet he's lost. Jesus communicates that he's still lost. He's obeyed. He's done everything right. Now, we know, this is, a, this is an analogy. We know that no one's done that, like no one's without sin. But Jesus is making this point. Even if you do everything right, you obey the law perfectly, you will still be lost. You are still lost. Not because of your bad behavior like the younger brother, but you're lost because of your good behavior. What? what? How can I be lost for obeying God? How can I be lost because of my good behavior? Because his good behavior is sinful. His good behavior creates a self-righteousness in him that communicates to the Father that I don't need you. I don't need you. Just like the younger brother, I want control of my life. Jesus is teaching them along with teaching us and the Pharisees and the scribes that the gospel, that Christianity is not about religion or irreligion. It's not about morality or immorality. It's not about good behavior or bad behavior. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity or the gospel is about turning from what you think brings you life, turning from wanting control of your life and turning to Jesus and receiving the life that he has died to give you. 
That's what, it's about a relationship with a loving father who has sacrificed what is most precious to him so that he could have you. Has nothing to do with your behavior, nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with morality or immorality, purity or impurity. And so let's look at how the elder brother is lost, what causes him to be lost, and I've been hinting at it. It's control. Control is the source of his lostness. Control and pride, which is kind of the root of that. And I came up with this saying, and it's not very deep, and it kind of sounds repetitive, but um, yeah, I just came up with it. It's brilliant. But anyway, it says this. I think I, do I have a slide for this? No. Okay, it says this. You can probably follow along. If we're in control of our life, then God isn't. If God is in control of our life, then we aren't. If we are lost, it means that God isn't in control, and we are. Okay? Because a lot of us believe this, that we can kind of have God in control of parts of our life, and we can kind of control parts of our life. And what I think God is teaching us this morning is you're either all in and I'm in control of your life and you're not lost or you're in control of your life. And if you think you are controlling your life, you are lost. You are lost. You are not with me. And the older brother is lost because he wanted control of his life. He was prideful and believed and thought, I know better than you, God. I know better than you, Father, and what you have for me or or who you are. I have worked hard, and you owe me. I have worked hard for you. I've done these things. I've never disobeyed you. And so you owe me. You owe me the fatted calf. That ring, that robe, that should have been mine because of my obedience, because of my good works. The younger brother wanted control, and he took it by taking his inheritance and spending it. The older brother wanted control of God by being good, by being righteous, by doing everything right so that the father would give him what he really wanted. Same as the younger brother, just in a different way. You know, and we wonder, or I think, the way this plays out with us is we think things like this. If I'm good, if I pray, if I read the Bible, if I serve the poor, if I'm a, a, an aggressive and passionate and worshiper that's free, then God will bless me. Then God should treat me this way. That he owes us these things because of our behavior, because of our sacrifice, because of our devotion to him and obeying him. And this is us trying to control God, telling him that you owe me. And when we see God blessing others that don't keep the rules like we do, that make mistakes that we don't, that don't pray as much as we do, who don't believe what we believe if it comes to life or it comes to politics or it comes to our faith, if they don't believe what we believe, and we see them being blessed, we get angry, don't we? We get angry. God, why are you letting these things happen to someone who is not as obedient as me, who is not as righteous as me? 
in verse 30, but when the son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. It's not fair, Father. It's not fair. I have kept your rules. I have served you, and he hasn't. I deserve this, not him. What we are saying is I don't, I don't trust you to give me what is best for me. I'm not satisfied with you, Father. I don't love you. I love what you can give me. And so I've earned it. Give it. I don't love you, but I love what you have. The older brother shows us this. When the father comes out and he pleads with him to come into the banquet, to come into the the salvation, the feast, to be a part of the family. And he says, again, he says to him, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed you. Not one of your commands have I broken. And you never even gave me a goat. I deserve this. You never gave me anything. I deserve this. I just don't understand. And so what we learn in this is there's two ways that we take control from God. There's two ways. What we're saying is there's two ways for us to be our own Lord and Savior. One is by breaking all the laws and being bad. The other is by keeping all the laws and being good. The difference between a religious person and a true Christian is that a religious person obeys God to get control over God, okay? The difference between a religious person and a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ, is that a religious person obeys God because he's a means to an end, and the end is that he'll get something from him. But the Christian, the true follower of Jesus, obeys just to get God just to love and please and draw closer to him. He is the object of their affection. And because of their love for him, then they obey. The religious person obeys because they believe that then God owes them and will love them more and will bless them more and will give them more, will make their life more comfortable. Okay, so the elder brother syndrome. I hope this isn't me. Is this me? I don't want it to be me. Sounds like a bad thing to be the elder brother, right? Well, it's not a good thing. And here's the thing, is that in this story, both are sinners. Like, both are not in relationship with God, right? But the, but the primary person that Jesus is speaking to are the, are the scribes and the Pharisees, because they're the ones who don't come into the banquet. Both are away from God, But the elder brother, the elder brother syndrome is more dangerous because we don't think we need God. The younger brother knows. He looks up. He comes to his senses like, what the what? What what am I doing? I'm eating pig food? And he's like, the father's. And we know there's got to be something better than this. And so that motivates us to turn because we see it around us. But what's so dangerous about being a Pharisee or about being an elder brother is we don't see it. We don't see it, and we get this elder brother syndrome is what I kind of labeled it. And, and I'll tell you this, and th- or this is like it is for me, is that like I'm not a hardcore elder brother. 
I'm telling you, at times in my life, I'm elder brother-ish. I, I, I begin to show some of these symptoms at different times in my life and in my family and in my ministry. And so, and so you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't, I don't I, I'm, I'm in the feast. You know, I'm in, I love Jesus. I'm a part of his family. I love this. But there are times when you slide back into self-protection, slide back into self-saving in your life. I, and again, like, I've done this all the time. I think things like, Lord, you call me to, to, to lead a charismatic church? Why aren't you healing more? I can't heal people. I'm doing everything you tell me to do. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm doing all these things. Why aren't you showing up the way that I want? I sell the brother syndrome. Or as a parent, Lord, I prayed for my children. I laid hands on my children. I sacrificed for them. Why aren't they a better student? Why aren't they following you? you des- I deserve this. I've sacrificed for you. Again, what is hard is that we don't realize this is the elder brother syndrome. And we're kind of taught, we're kind of taught in the church, aren't we? With certain theologies, right? That God owes us. That God should bless us. And if he doesn't, we're doing something wrong. And so we better start doing something right. And when we start doing things right, then God will bless us. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is religion. That is you believing the lie that you can save yourself. I've already said all that. So here's the symptoms of the elder brother. Here's the five symptoms. There's five symptoms, okay? A deep anger. If you have a deep anger, you have elder brother syndrome. Says because he came in, he got it. a joyful and mechanical obedience. I've been slaving for you, he said. So your obedience to God is a mechanical, feels like a slave. You're doing it because you feel like you have to. Okay, so if you do that, you're like, I mean, I gotta wake up every day and read my Bible. You got the elder brother syndrome. A coldness to younger brother types. And I'm gonna go through all these, okay? Number four is a lack of assurance of the Father's love. This is the biggest one of the five, an unforgiving or judgmental spirit. Okay, so let's just unpack each of these, okay? A deep anger. You, don't, you think you deserve something, and when you don't get it, well, how do you respond? You're angry. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm angry at God because I think I deserve this, just like the, the elder brother, and when God doesn't give it to me, I get angry at him. But this is what we forget. That Jesus lived the perfect life, and he suffered greatly. And he tells us that we will suffer. He promises that we will suffer on his account. And yet when we do, we get angry and we blame God. If this is you, you have the elder brother syndrome. Number two, a joyless and mechanical obedience. I obey because I have to, not because I love you. I obey because you owe me. You're a means to an end, Father. Obedience results then in a joylessness in your life. You don't have any joy. When you are functioning out of obedience, out of, out of a slavery, out of, out of because I have to do this, there won't be any joy. 
That's, if you don't have joy in your Christian life, if you don't have joy in coming to the Father, odds are, what do you got? Older brother syndrome. Number three, a coldness to younger brother types. Elder brothers look down on everyone. They look down on people that aren't like them, like I said, right? And, um, and the result is that they, they look at people who don't have their moral standards who uh, maybe don't, as work, don't work as hard as they do, don't pray as much as they do, right? And they judge them. And here's the bad thing about this, is that people who feel like this aren't going to come to church, right? Even lost people that we treat this way, when they bump into us, they feel judged. They feel condemned. Elder brothers are like the worst evangelists ever. The worst. Because when they meet with people, they make them feel like... Oh, yeah, God loves you. If you get your life cleaned up, then you can come and be a part of our family, right? So you change, and then you can belong. Who wants to be about or part of that club? Nobody. Nobody wants to come and feel judged and condemned. Nobody does. If you are in relationship with the lost and you don't have a compassion in a heart for the lost, odds are, guess what? You have elder brother syndrome. Okay, now number four, a lack of an assurance of the Father's love. This, this one blew me away. This, this is such, this is what worded so well. Um, it says this. He says, you never threw me a party. And he was obedient. And he said, I was obedient. Why didn't you do this for me? As long as you are trying to earn your salvation by controlling God, your goodness, if you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God, by being good, you will never be sure if you've been good enough. If your life isn't what you think it is, you will believe that you haven't been good enough, that you need to be better, that you need to work harder. And so every time that something goes wrong in your life, you wonder, is this God punishing me? Does he not love me? Is he mad with me? Is he sad? Do I need to do something different? Do I need to work harder on my faith? And the result is you have guilt. You feel guilty all the time. You can't be sure that you've repented deeply enough. And so you repent again and again and beat yourself up over again and again. And the biggest thing is you will feel no intimacy with the Father. If you don't trust the Father loves you and you don't feel like he just loves you because you belong to him, then you won't won't be intimate with him. Your relationship will be about you asking and wanting things instead of intimacy and being close to him. The fifth thing is an unforgiving or judgmental spirit. The elder brother at the bottom line is he doesn't want the father to forgive the younger son, does he? He doesn't. You read it in the story. He does not want the father to forgive the younger brother. If you feel like you're better than other people, you will have a hard time forgiving them. You will have a hard time wanting them 
to get out of the sin that they're in. You'll have a hard time wanting them to come and repent so that the Father will bless them. If you struggle with forgiving people, odds are you have an older brother syndrome. And so how do we deal with this? What's the solution? The solution is very important. This is a very important matter. It's a kingdom matter, and it's a personal matter. The elder brother syndrome, like I said, leaves the younger brother lost. When people bump into the Christians and and bump into the elder brother, they feel judged and condemned, and they don't come or they leave, or they don't want to be around us. And again, this is we're called to build the kingdom of God. And building the kingdom of God looks like us reaching out to elder to younger brothers. You see, Jesus, when we look at his life, was surrounded by sinners, was surrounded by younger brothers, showed favor almost to younger brothers. Said, I came to you know for the sick and the lost. The physician doesn't need a doctor, but the, the, the elder the younger brothers do. They were attracted to him. They listened to him. And he had hard teaching. He was teaching the truth to them. But they flocked to him. But they don't flock to us. They push us away. And what Jesus teaches in this parable is that there is no room in the Christian life to avoid people who are lost and need the Father's love. There is no excuse. There is no room. And it is sinful to ignore the younger brothers in the world, to ignore the people who need Jesus. We should be like the father when we see a younger brother. We should be like the father and race towards them, move towards them with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and invite them into the party that God has for them. But it's also important for us Like the younger brother, we need to repent. We need to turn from this attitude. We need to acknowledge that it's sinful in our life. And not only this, we don't even need to acknowledge that it's sinful, but we need to go deeper and acknowledge that it is us trying to control our life. We need to repent of, of these behaviors in our life to God so that we can be forgiven and we can receive the freedom that he has for us. Not just say, all right, God, please forgive me for being an elder brother. No, forgive me, forgive me for trying to control you for myself. Forgive me for for, for operating in a way, for coming to you so that you will take care of me. And, And for all of us, that looks different. But it begins with, And again, I want to frame that in. Why is that important? Why is it important to turn? Because Jesus loves us. Jesus wants freedom for us. Jesus wants to experience life. And life only comes when we repent. We turn from, just like the younger brother, it's a better picture, but we turn from what we're doing, control, and we turn back to the Father so we can receive freedom. You know, when we're singing, Lord, let your freedom fall. We want to be in your presence. With no repentance, it doesn't matter if it's here in the room. If with no, with no turning to him and receiving it, this, this room could be thick with the Spirit, and we would not be able to receive him, to be blessed by him. And we wonder, why, why do other people have these experiences? Well, one of the reasons, one of the reasons, 
is we don't open ourselves. We don't come to God. We don't repent of our sins. We don't ask him to pour out. We forget where we came from, and we self-medicate, and we try to take care of ourselves. Humility and grace is the solution for this. Jesus says, we've studied this in John 15, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what that means is nothing, nothing that we do that is not done in recognition of Jesus Christ and what he is doing in us is sinful as us being the elder brother. Everything that we do, not just spiritual things, the blessing of having breath, the blessing of being educated, the blessing of being able to think, the blessing of health, the blessing of being in the, king, the kingdom and the family of God, all of it, everything that you do that is good is only good because of Jesus and because of his grace. And humility is the foundation for you coming back to him. You know, I've been stuck on Psalm 63. I can't get away from it. I read it. Um, I've been meditating on it. I've been thinking about it. You know, so you feel drawn to a part of the Bible. And I, I mentioned it a few other weeks when we were talking about the younger brother. But it says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then there's this verse. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And I thought about this. I thought about David in the midst of this dry and weary life, in the midst of a hard week for me, a hard week for many of us, I bet. I remember just sitting there and and thinking of David. His response to a week like that was to meditate and look at the sanctuary and behold God's power and beauty. And in the midst of me thinking about this, the Holy Spirit came to me and he said, Antley, you don't have to gaze upon the Father's beauty. You don't have to gaze upon the Father's strength and power. Let me walk you into it. Let me take you into his very presence where you can experience his love. You can know his love for you. In the midst of a hard, dry, and weary place, Jesus is asking us this morning, calling us this morning, saying to us this morning, don't gaze upon God. Let me take you into the Holy of Holies. Let me take you into his presence so you can experience his love and his mercy and his beauty and his glory and his power. That's right where we started this morning is that the framework for the prodigal son is Jesus pleading with you as he did the scribes and the Pharisees, let me walk you in to the Father's presence. And I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I just pictured in my mind him picking me up and just carrying me and walking me into the Father's presence. Nothing had changed in my life. No circumstances. There's still struggle and sadness and brokenness. But in the Father's presence, there was life, there was love, there was forgiveness, and I was able to receive it. Let's stand.